Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am Rick Thomas, and I want to talk about baptism today, but not how you probably think. Typically, when people talk about baptism, they talk about what baptism is, why it is important, and those things, those discussions are vital. You need to understand the purpose of baptism, why we have it, but there have been a million podcast articles books, blogs on those things. And so if you want to know what baptism is and why it's important, and you want to do some Greek studies in the New Testament on baptism, Google it. You can find all that information. I don't want to be redundant. And it's also not the bend of our ministry. Our ministry is practical. When you look at the Great Commission, the Great Commission is about going and leading people to Christ, they become converted, and then you teach them all that Jesus taught them. That is the sanctification aspect of the Great Commission, and that's where we focus. We want people to learn how to practically live out the Bible on Tuesday, in their living room, in their family, among their friends. And I have found in my Christian experience that believers have a million questions that aren't doctrinal in nature. Now, all of those questions are important and you need, it is critical that you have a deep, profound, comprehensive, doctrinal understanding of the Word of God. You need to be a theologian. However, we also need to know how to apply the wealth of knowledge that we have And that is the focus of our ministry. We are a practical application ministry. And so when I talk about baptism, I want to walk through some common concerns that people have about it. Those anxious thoughts, should I be baptized again because I was baptized as a youth? How am I to Uh, respond to that? Is immersion absolutely necessary? Who should baptize me? Should I do it in front of people? Uh, what, What age should I be when I am baptized? How should parents respond? How should parents parent their children through this idea of baptism? How do they know if they're manipulating their child? How, how do they know if the parent, the parent is struggling with fear of man because of all the other kids, all their peers' children, all the other parents' children are being baptized, and mine are not, and so I'm tempted to manipulate them unwittingly. I want to talk about those things. How do you subjectively assess if a candidate for baptism is doing this for fear of man reasons? Now, the individual is doing it for fear of man reasons rather than faith in God reasons. And so when I talk about baptism in this podcast, I want to come at it from a very practical uh, perspective because as I interact with people, these are the kinds of questions that they have. Welcome to the podcast. This is Life Over Coffee. I'm Rick Thomas. This is episode 215. If you want to read what I'm sharing with you, go to our podcast page for Life Over Coffee, episode 215, and here's the title, Thinking Practically About the Vital Need to Be Baptized. Now, the reason that I'm doing this podcast in this moment of time, some of you have heard me say on a couple of podcasts before recently, Lucia and I went to Washington State, and I had the joy of baptizing one of our VAs, one of our virtual assistants, Julie, who 
the Lord regenerated her when she was about 45 years old, and she is 54 now, and she's been wanting to be baptized for quite a while now. And she asked me a couple of years ago if I would consider it, and the answer is yes, of course. And so I went and I baptized her, but right on the heels of that, what you don't know is that yesterday, I'm doing this podcast on Monday, yesterday at our Sunday church meeting where we attend, I had the privilege of baptizing my 18-year-old daughter, Tristan, and that was a big event in our lives. And so naturally, I've been thinking about this idea of baptism for several weeks now. And as all of my articles are, my articles, these podcasts, they are personal devotions. I write the things that God is working in my heart, and I write them in such a way for public consumption. And I started doing this 11 years ago. I started journaling in 1994. I've been writing devotionally since 1994, but I decided 11 years ago that why not share these things? I shouldn't keep the things that the Lord is teaching me under a bushel, and so I wanted to let my light shine. And so I don't want to just pick and grab information and and respout it out there for you, but I actually want to share things that God has been working in my heart. And that makes it more real, more transparent. It resonates more effectively with other people. And so I only write on the things that God has been working in my heart. And so he has brought me into this season of baptism where I baptized Julie about three weeks ago, and then yesterday I baptized Tristan. And so as I was reflecting on these things, I thought this would be a great topic because there's a lot of questions, and we had to work through these questions ourselves as we have been parenting our children through everything, but specifically through baptism. Baptism is an act of obedience for all people with whom the Lord regenerates. Every person who has been born again, which is what the word regenerate means. And so if God has regenerated you, if the Lord has imposed himself into your life and you have been born a second time, that's Jesus's language in John 3, 7, as he was having this conversation with Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. And if you have been born a second time, you want someone to baptize you. That is something that just happens. In fact, it's it's one of the evidences that you are a Christian, which was so cool as I was talking to Julie. She was saved in a wheat field or a cow pasture, and and she, uh, shortly after that, she wanted to follow the Lord in all ways, but one of those ways was to be baptized. That is very normal. But the question that I want to interact with in this podcast is what does the ordinance of baptism mean practically, and so I want to share some practical thoughts that I hope that it will benefit the person who is thinking about baptism, and also uh, for those who are walking with those who are thinking about baptism, usually as parents, but also counselors and other people in authority positions like teachers, Sunday school teachers specifically, pastors, of course, as you walk a person through that. So I hope to give you give you a, a lot of information that you can think about throughout this podcast. I do want to give you 
a caveat here, and it's important that you hear this. Did you know that most of the things that we believe are preferential and not divisively doctrinal? It's true. This news to you may be odd if you spend a lot of time reading, listening, and watching to watching the smart people talk about all the things that you can split into tiny theological hairs. It seems like we argue about everything, and there's a fight breaking out in every corner. Go to Twitter if you don't believe that. We are constantly, Christians are constantly fighting amongst themselves over all sorts of issues, but most of the things that we believe are preferential and not divisively doctrinal. And I'm stating this up front because I don't want you to, if you read these show notes or you're listening to this podcast, I don't want you to think that I have cornered the market on how things ought to be. I am sharing, most of what I'm going to share with you are preferences, and you need to hear that. You see, I'm in a learning process just like you are. And the things that I believed when I started my journey with the Lord in 1984 are not 100% identical to the beliefs that I subscribe to today. I have changed in so many ways. And maybe, maybe that would be a podcast that I should do about the things that I did believe when God regenerated me in 1984 and the things that I believe today. They are worlds apart. And so I don't want you to succumb to fear of man or legalism. In this case, the fear of man would be me. This is what Rick does. This is what Rick believes. Well, it's what I believe now, but it's not necessarily what I believed then. And when insecure folks hear how others do things, and I'm, I'm not talking about things that are non-negotiable. I'm talking about preferential things. And there are so many aspects that I'm going to share with you about baptism that are purely preferential. And when insecure folks hear how others do things, they can become anxious. They can even wonder if, they, if they're doing things wrong or worse, they can think that God is not pleased with me. Don't do this. That's if you are tempted to succumb to fear of man. But if you are bound up in legalism, it might be hard for you to hear some of the things that I'm going to share with you because the legalist is very black and white, and there are very few preferences for the legalist, or there are some things that, that are hills to die on when it really shouldn't be hills to die on, and that's what legalism will do to you. They can't think outside of their black and white categories. And so what I've done in this podcast is I've divided up baptism into two categories. One is non-negotiable. These are things that are non-negotiable. We can't deviate. I believe we can't deviate on these things. I believed them in 1984, and I believe them today. And then there are some things that are negotiable. Now, as you're going to see, like if you look at my show notes here, this is episode 215, thinking practically about the vital need to be baptized. And as you're going to, as you're going to see, there are few things worth fighting over when it comes to this precious ordinance of the church. Every hill is not worth dying on. And, and if you haven't walked with God long enough, then just trust me on this. The things you believe today will take on different shapes as you learn more about God and His Word your future relationship with God is going to change. It better change, by the way. If, you're, if your relationship with God 
and your understanding of the Word of God and how you think about it and how you respond to it and the, your obedience, if it doesn't change in the future, then there's something wrong with your relationship with God. It'd be like you date this girl, and the way you are in the dating relationship is the way you are 50 years later. There is something woefully wrong with your marriage because you're going to learn more about her. You're going to love her differently. You're going to love her in new ways. You're going to see things you've never seen before. You'll have some bad habits in the beginning that you will drop off. And as the days and weeks, months and years go by, that relationship is going to be radically different. And that's the way it is with my wife. That's the way it is with my relationship with the Lord. That's the way it is with my children. I love them more today than I did when they were born, and it's hard to think that you could do that, but I've had an experience with them, and it's an experience that has flexed and changed and, and been good and, and been bad and matured, and, and they have grown. They're no longer babies. They're talking now. They are adults. Things change. But the one thing you must not mess with is the gospel. Paul had strong words in Galatians. For those who try to state the gospel and live out the gospel in another way. But he was flexible and patient. And above all, he was humble when it came to a lot of other things. Even if they are vital to your walk with the Lord. And so we want to be careful as we think about this. Please don't succumb to fear of man. I'm talking about preferences. Here are my, here's my list of non-negotiable things. There's only two in my list here. Now, perhaps you'll give me a third one and a fourth one. Good for you. And I, I apologize now for, for not adding it, but here's the two that came to mind. Number one, every Christian should want to be baptized. I talked about this with Julie earlier after God had regenerated her. She had a desire to be baptized. That is just as normal, normal Christian thinking as it can possibly be. If the Holy Spirit is in you, then you're not going to grieve the Spirit. You're not going to quench the Spirit, but the Spirit's going to illuminate you according to His Word. And the Word teaches very clearly that you want to be baptized after salvation. And so one non-negotiable, every Christian should want to be baptized. Number two, the last thing on my list, my non-negotiable list, baptism is a response to salvation, not a cause of salvation, and that is, that is important. Baptism flows out of an act that has already happened. The act is regeneration. You've been born again. Baptism doesn't make you a Christian. Baptism is not necessary to be a Christian. This is non-negotiable. Baptism is a response to being born again. Go back to Julie again. God regenerated her. He, he came down from heaven he regenerated her in a cow pasture. She was born a second time. Done. There is nothing that she could add to her salvation. Everything else that comes from that point forward as far as responding to the things that she's learning in the Bible, that's all because the Spirit of God is in her. She's fully, she's fully regenerated but she wants to be baptized. So baptism is a response to salvation, not a cause of salvation. Now, I have a list here of negotiables. Let's just get in them because somebody's probably already thinking about, isn't immersion a non-negotiable? No, it's not. I believe in immersion, that you should go down in the water, be completely covered up by water, that it is a picture of being buried in the likeness of Christ and then being raised in the likeness of his resurrection. 
That's the way that you should be baptized. But is it mandatory? No. What if you're you're baptizing someone that they are uh, disabled and you can't get them in the water? Is it okay to pour water over them? Yes, it is. It's mighty fine. Immersion is not a non-negotiable. At every opportunity, I, w- I would want to, when I baptize, I want to, ba- I want to immerse them. With Julie, uh, her adorable husband, Ron, went to the tractor supply store, I don't know what they call it, out where they live, and bought a huge black... I want to say Rubbermaid, but it's not what it is, but a rubber, hard, plasticky trough thing that both of us could get in, but I didn't. We put it in her living room or her dining area, filled it up with warm water, and I got beside it and baptized. I immersed her because that would be my preferential way, and and she was able to do that. But if she weren't able to do that, I would have no issue whatsoever in pouring water uh, over her, and that being a picture of baptism. Negotiable. Immersion is the best way, but not mandatory. Any believer can baptize another believer. As I said Yesterday, uh, uh, yesterday I baptized my daughter. That is a high privilege. Some people would believe that only a pastor could be bapti- uh, can baptize people, and, and that's fine. If that's the way that you want to do it, that's fine. But any believer can baptize another believer. And I'm very thankful that my church permits dads to baptize. It's hard to talk about. It's really hard to talk about. But dads get to baptize their children. Any believer can baptize another believer. Negotiable. You don't have to be saved or baptized in a church building. So you don't have to be baptized in a church building. Julie was saved in a cow pastor. I was saved on a a double bed or whatever size bed it was in a double-wide mobile home. That sounds like a country song. I was saved in a double bed in a double-wide mobile home. Uh, Julie, her country song is, I was saved in a cow pasture. People are saved all over the place, and you can be baptized anywhere. You can be baptized in a a cow trough. You can be baptized in a pond. You don't have to be baptized in a church building. Number four, Christians should participate in your baptism as much as possible, because the purpose of baptism is to make a public profession of faith. Now, one of the ways that we did it with Julie is we videoed it. It was Ron and and Julie, of course, and me and Lucia, and then we used Zoom technology so that our mastermind students could watch, as many as could. We had technological trouble because of the internet out in the middle of a wheat field, but we videoed it, and they were able to watch the video. That was one way that other Christians could participate. Fellowship, koinonia is the word that participate means in this context. As Paul talked about in Philippians 2, to participate in the Spirit, koinonia in the Spirit. Christians should participate, and you should want to do it in front of other Christians, in front of anybody for that matter, in front of anyone, so that you can make a public declaration in Mexico they do it outside. Of course, it's always warm. Where we were, just outside of Sinaloa, Mexico, a couple of years ago doing a conference, they put their 
their baptistry, they have a baptistry outside, and they do it outside because they want it to be as public as possible. That's a good thing. Number five, it's not necessary for baptism right after God regenerates you. If the Lord regenerates you on Wednesday at 10 a.m., you don't have to be baptized at 11 a.m. on Wednesday. You can wait a week. You can wait. In Julie's case, she waited nine years. Uh, in Tristan's case, she waited. Uh, it depends. It's hard to I'll get more into the subjectiveness of knowing whether you're born again or not later. Um, but she was saved many months. I mean, she was baptized many months after she was regenerated. And so it's not necessary to be baptized after the Lord regenerates you. Number six, baptism is for any age. The only requirement is a second birth. Number seven, preferably, it's better to be baptized, in my opinion, when you are older. And there are two reasons for this. And I, I stated this one preferably. But there are two reasons for this. When you're older, like Tristan's 18 years old, you're more likely to remember your baptism if you're o- older. And, and, and the point of this is that it will mitigate any doubts or confusion about your regeneration. I have talked to many adults in my counseling life who have struggled with this very idea right here. And again, it's preferable if you're baptized at at six, seven, eight, if there is a credible testimony as it's been vetted with other people who are competent enough to to hear uh, you talk about salvation, fantastic. I'm just stating that I've interacted with a lot of people who have a lot of doubts and confusion about their regeneration and their baptism. And so I say preferably it's better to be baptized when you're older for two reasons. That's one. Number two, you have the opportunity to remove yourself from the faith of your parents. You're in a better place to examine your faith to see if it's yours. This is a big deal for us as parents as we walked our children. We've been walking our children through baptism for the past I would say five or six years we've been talking about this as a, a Tristan uh, Tristan's 18, so probably seven years maybe, as she has transitioned at, at 10, 11, 12 from, from kid to adult. When she was in the transitional window, we began to uh, accelerate or um, add more adult-type conversations to the things that we talked about. So probably seven or eight years we've been talking about baptism, walking them through, and as the other two have, have come through that subjective transitional phase, we begin to talk to them about baptism as well. And it was important to for that discussion for us to be very releasing, and this is my next point here, parents should be releasing when talking to their children about baptism. You don't want to manipulate your children either willfully or unwittingly. And we, we've been very careful about talking to our children that we want them. I want them to remove themselves from our faith, and I want them to have their own faith. But, but it's hard for a child, especially if you're raised in a Christian, reared in a Christian home, as our children are, have been. They, they've only known one kind of life. It wasn't as radical and nasty as my life was as a child. And so from darkness to light in my life was truly radical. It was apparent. It was truly objective in my children's life. And Lucia would have a similar experience because she was reared in a Christian home. 
And she struggled with this. She actually struggled with this as an adult. She's one of those people I was talking about earlier that, that struggled with her salvation because she was God regenerated. I do believe that God regenerated her when she was young, six or seven years old. As she tells it, I believe she was regenerated then, but she struggled with it. And when you're brought up, reared in a Christian environment, that can be an issue. And so parents want to make sure, and I I make sure that they're releasing when they talk to their children about this. You don't want to manipulate them. I have seen grandparents, for example, coerce a, a prayer of salvation out of a kid because it was more about the parents, or in, in this case, the grandparents. They, 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 they were so concerned. They just wanted this child to pray a prayer so they can be released. You don't want to do that. And, and so I say preferably it's, it's better to be baptized when you're older because when you're older, it will possibly more than likely mitigate any doubts or confusion you have about regeneration and two, You've had the opportunity to remove yourself from the faith of your parents and come to own your own faith. Parents should be releasing when talking to their children about baptism. You don't want to manipulate them unwittingly. My next point here is you want to subjectively assess. I say subjectively because that's the best we can do. You want to subjectively assess if a candidate for baptism is doing this for fear of man reasons or faith in God reasons. This is the other reason, like when kids are young, they can want to do this because their classmates are doing it. The people they hang out, their their peer group is doing it. And so they want to do it as well. And you don't want to cave to that. You want to assess them subjectively to see why they're doing this. You want What you're doing is you want to assess their, their faith, how they are acting, how they respond to God. Are they repenting the children, sin-confessing children? Are they broken over their sin? Do, do they feel remorse when, when they do things wrong? Is there a humility in their life? Is there a desire for them uh, to serve? Are they generous? Are they grateful? Are they transforming? Those are some of the things that you want to, do they respect you? Those are some of the things that you want to assess. And if these things are not evident in the child's life, you have to wonder, like, is this child, has this child been born again? And then are they wanting to be baptized for other reasons, fear of man reasons, rather than having faith in in God? And then parents want to examine themselves to make sure they are not succumbing to the fear of others. As I said earlier, if their child does not pursue baptism, while all their friends' children are, you need to take care of your own fear of man issues, or you will not unwittingly manipulate, you will volitionally manipulate your children to get baptized, so it will look good for you. Don't do that. Don't put that burden on your children. Also, in my list of negotiables for us, our, we did not permit our children to take communion if they were not willing to be baptized. And so Tristan has does as eighteen years old. She she may have taken communion one time or two. I don't know if they've been sneaking uh, the the bread from the communion plate. But our children do not take communion because they're unwilling to be baptized. If if they if there's no prohibiting reason for them to be baptized, and they want to then it would be okay, in my view, for them to take communion. So say that my children want to be baptized, and, and there's, they're going to be soon. Well, then, yeah, you could take communion too. 
but, but sometimes children can succumb to fear of man when the plate is coming by and everybody else is doing it. Communion is a sacred event in the body of Christ, and it is for those who have been born again, and we don't want to trifle with it. And so we've never permitted our children to take communion because they didn't want to be baptized, which was fine. It was fine. If you don't want to be baptized, you don't want to be baptized. But not, I mean, this is, a, this is something that God does, and we knew that if God did that, there will be a day that they won't be baptized. And if they were baptized, they can take communion. Two more. I have to move quickly here. It's okay to be baptized twice. If it's a matter of conscience, if it's a matter of conscience, I was baptized twice as a 12-year-old and a 25-year-old, and perhaps I will have to do that in another podcast because we are running out of time here. But there are situations where, like for me, for example, where I was baptized twice, I was one of those kids, for whatever reason, made a profession of faith, asked Jesus in my heart, and the next week I was baptized. And then God... Well, I just don't know. That's a long conversation that maybe I need to have at another time as to whether I was regenerated at 12 or regenerated at 25. But if you're struggling with this matter and you've already been baptized, it's becoming a conscience issue, be sure to get wise counsel if you're struggling with your first baptism. And then finally, you won't go to hell if you're not baptized. You won't. You'll go to hell if you're not a Christian, but not if you're not baptized. Episode 215, thinking practically about the vital need to be baptized. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.